Welcome to The Payoff Pitch. I'm your host, Paul Valley, and I hope you all are as happy to be hearing from me as I am to be talking to you. If you recall, the last time we did a show was about mid-January when we had Dan Connolly from The Athletic on the show. Um, the show has been up in the air. Uh, the guy who was funding it, Tony Lombardi from Russell Street Report, really great guy. He wanted to take the show in a different direction. Um, basically, he's going to be having me, once the baseball season starts, Tony's going to be having me do two, three to five minute shows each week. One would be a minor league report. One would be an Orioles recap, although there's not going to be minor league baseball this year, so I'm not really quite sure what we're going to do. Maybe it'll just be one five minute show. Uh, I've been in talks with other publications to try and do my show for them. And then with the whole COVID outbreak, we've just been on a three month hiatus from anything baseball related. So, uh, but we did, Morgan, my wonderful producer here, reached out to me the end of last week and wanted me to come in and do a show recapping the Major League Draft, talking about Rob Manfred and his comments recently and how and about shortened baseball season, if there is a baseball season at all. So we worked out something, and we're doing a show to bring to our listeners so that you all can enjoy the payoff pitch and I can enjoy getting it out to you. So... A little bit of a conclusion there. Not quite sure where this show is going in the future, but it will be around in some form at some point. That's all I can promise you right now. Until then, enjoy this show. The first thing I want to talk about today, and this is a bit of a, of a somber note, is I want to talk about Mo Gabba. Mo Gabba is a super fan when it comes to the Orioles and the Ravens. And if you know this kid, he's a 13-year-old he's a boy who has had several bouts with cancer. He's blind. He, um, he's not doing well. He's not doing well, to, to you know, put it mildly. And recently, Jeremy Kahn and Eric Arditi, let me just tell you first and foremost, these are two of the greatest guys you're ever going to want to meet. Uh, both are friends of the show. Both have been on the show in the past. And what they do for Mo Gabba and his mother, Sanzi, is it's not of this world, what they, what they do for this kid. And Jeremy, in one weekend, raised $17,000 for Mo. He was able to get him a new bed. They just threw him a parade to celebrate his graduating from middle school with all sorts of uh, Baltimore sports personalities like Trey Mancini, Asher Wojciechowski, Cal Ripken, um, John, the owner of Jimmy's Seafood, all of these guys, all of these people, uh, Kristen Hudak, the head of PR for the Orioles, all of these people came out to see Mo the other day for his middle school graduation. This is a kid who just has this infectious personality, and you wouldn't know it to talk to him to know the struggles that he's going through. And it, it's, it's not getting better for him, but again, you wouldn't know it to talk to him. Just a really strong, really wonderful kid. I've only had the opportunity to talk to him once uh, when he was on the show that I produced for Stan Charles for Press Box, and he just lights up your day. And, you know, I just really wanted to mention him, mention that we're all thinking about you, Mo. We're all praying for you. And we're all here for you. You keep pushing. You keep fighting this thing, man, and, you know, we're hoping that you're going to beat it. And, again, Eric and Jeremy Kahn, Eric Arditi and Jeremy Kahn, thank you guys for everything that you've done for Mo. Really just, you're making Baltimore so proud. And I know that's not why you do it. You don't do it for the accolades. You don't do it for the recognition. You do it because it's the right thing to do, and this kid deserves it. 
And it's just so important, and it's so big what you guys do. There's a special place up above for both of you guys. Just really proud to know you and call you guys friends. Moving on, we want to talk about what's going on with Major League Baseball. And all, all major sports got shut down. We all know that, and rightfully so. COVID-19, coronavirus, this, has been, this is a big deal. Over 100,000 people in the United States have died from this thing. 42 million people on unemployment. It's a big deal, and sports should be shut down. But now we're entering these reopening phases, and we're talking about getting sports back up and running. The NHL has a plan in place that they still have to you know, ratify. The NBA still ha has a plan in place. There's been some hiccups for them, but they're looking to start playing July 31st. Major League Baseball doesn't have anything in place. And when you have 42 million people on unemployment, all of these people out of work, and that, that doesn't even include the people that are out of work that don't qualify for unemployment. And you have millionaires and billionaires squabbling over money in a public forum for the world to see. It is a black eye on the game of baseball. And to me, right at the forefront of this, is the Major League Baseball Commissioner, Rob Manfred. And in my opinion, Rob Manfred is the worst thing to happen to this sport in my lifetime, and that includes the 1994 work stoppage strike. What we have here is, just, just in case you're not familiar with what's going on here, back in March, ownership and the players' union came to an agreement. They basically set aside $170 million to pay the players, and they said that, they were, that the, players, the players agreed to play at their pro-rated salary for however many games they were going to play. And the owners said, well, if we want to play in front of... If we end up playing in front of no fans, we need to come back to the table with this. And the players agreed to it. The problem is ownership's not acting in good faith because it is better financially for the owners if there's no regular season because they make all their money off revenue from fans coming into these stadiums. So the shorter the season for the owners, the better. That means, and it, with expanded playoffs, they get more money from the playoffs than they, do, than, than, than they would playing in front of empty stadiums this year. And they're going back and forth. They're fighting about this with the players because the players don't want to play less than their prorated salary, and they don't think that ownership is doing what they need to do to put a product back on the field. And then after the latest proposal where they, pro they proposed, I think it was 70 games at, I'm sorry, 76 games at 75% prorated salary to the players with expanded playoffs for 2020 and 2021, this proposal comes out at the same time that it comes out that a billion-dollar agreement was reached between the Major League Baseball owners and TBS to air playoff games, $350 million of which they've already made this year. What, are, what do they expect the players to do? You want the players to go out on the field, take all the risk, put their health in danger, and not get paid. They were basically asking these players to, pay, to play about 10 to 15 games for free. And now Rob Manfred comes out last Wednesday during the Major League Baseball draft, and he says unequivocally 100% there will be a Major League Baseball season. 
five days later, he says he's not confident that there's going to be a Major League Baseball season. What changed? What changed, Rob? I want to know what changed. You know what? Don't even answer the question. I'll tell you what changed. The players called your bluff. They called your bluff. They said, fine, because the commissioner has the power to institute a season of up to as many as, I think it's like 60, 62 games, something like that. So the players, when they finally got a, a third proposal from ownership that they did not like, again, not guaranteeing uh, full prorated salary, the players said, you know what, just mandate a season, tell us when and where to show up, and we'll come ready to play. So that's when Manfred has his bluff called and comes out and says, now I'm not confident we will not have a season unless we know for a fact that the players won't file a grievance against us based on the March agreement. What are you scared of, Rob? Do you think that maybe the owners have done something wrong here? So now we have Rob Manfred. If anybody saw the movie Screwball, I used a little bit more profane language on Twitter yesterday than I'm going to use today, but I basically called this guy a lying sack of bleep. I have a, I have a uh, uh, clip or I, um, something from an article that John Taylor wrote for Sports Illustrated about the movie Screwball. I'm going to read this to you. The film's biggest laugh comes courtesy of Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred, who in an excerpt from a 2013 60 Minutes interview calls claims of MLB paying Bosch, Tony Bosch, the founder of Biogenesis, $5 million for his testimony against Alex Rodriguez is absolutely untrue. Claims. Cut to Bosch pulling out and reading from a huge stack of documents to show how the league spent millions on his legal fees. So again, Rob Manfred in an interview says that Major League Baseball paying Bosch $5 million for testimony against Alex Rodriguez was completely untrue. And then the very next clip is Bosch pulling out hard evidence that it happened. Rob Manfred was not the commissioner at the time. Rob Manfred was, was heading up the investigation by Major League Baseball into the biogenesis scandal and got caught lying for the world to see. And this is the guy that's running Major League Baseball who is a mouthpiece for the owners. The thing about Rob Manfred, he's bluffing again. He's going to mandate a season. If you're not following Trevor Bauer on social media at Bauer Outage on Twitter, you need to be following him because he hit the nail right on the head yesterday. What's going to happen is there's about 13 days before a 60, about a 62-game season could be started, in, including getting, team, getting players back to spring training, getting a few weeks of workouts in before starting a season. There would be about a 62-game season that would end at the end of September. There's about 13 days of dead space between now and when they need to get that started. Rob Manfred knows this and basically is trying to save face for having as short a season as possible. They were saying it could be a 48-game season, it could be a 50-game season. It's going to be a 56- to 62-game season. It's going to be right around that range. And Rob Manfred is just buying time until he can announce that. I'm telling you right now, there will be a Major League Baseball season. It will be anywhere from 56 to 62 games. There will be expanded playoffs. Rob Manfred is just trying to save his butt and save the owners' butts 
to cover up about two weeks of dead time before they really need to get this thing going. You're hearing it from me. It's going to happen. I can almost etch this in stone. There will be Major League Baseball, despite the owners trying to ruin the game, despite Malf- uh, Malfred. That should be his name because he's just a talking mouthpiece. Despite Manfred do- using their best efforts to make as much money for the owners as possible while having them pay as little money as possible to the players. If you're not on the player's side in this, I can't help you. You should be. These billionaire owners, this is pocket change to them. A billion dollars. These, all these guys have billions. That's a lot of money. That is a lot of money that, you know, I'm not going to talk about guys' financials because I don't want people talking about mine. I just know that these guys have a lot of money, and the, the fact that they're squabbling over what would be pocket change to them is ridiculous to me. That's my soapbox for what's going on with Major League Baseball and Rob Manfred. Can't stand the guy. I wish he was out, but, you know, the owners are the only ones that can get him out, and they love him right now. So let's move on to the Orioles draft. Talk about some good stuff for a change. Although this time last week, it didn't seem like good stuff to Orioles fans. It was shocking, for lack of a better term. Months. For months, we knew Spencer Torkelson was going to the Tigers at number one overall. And for months, we knew that the Orioles were taking Austin Martin until that number two pick in the draft was announced. And with the number two pick in the first-year player draft, the Baltimore Orioles select Heston Kerstad, outfielder for Arkansas. You could hear the collective jaws of the fandom in Baltimore hit the floor. I was mad. My buddy Eric, who's been on the show, was mad. The guys whose podcast, I, um, Nate Hit the Foul Pole, Matt Pine, who's been on the show, and his co-host Zach, they were upset. I guested on their show that night, and we, we had a good time just tearing down the Orioles. It seemed like an underslot move so they could do an overslot pick at 30 and 39. The only problem is they didn't make an overslot pick at 30 and 39 or 74. They made an overslot pick at 103 and at 133. Just going based off of that, it sounds like the Orioles didn't have a very good Major League draft. But when you look back on it, they had an excellent draft. They drafted their first five picks are all guys who are going to be Major League Baseball players. All of them. We'll start with Heston Kerstad. Outfielder for Arkansas. The pick that shocked everybody. Insane power to all fields. He's got, on a scale of 20 to 80, he's got a 60 hit and 60 power tool. Reliable reliable enough defensively to stay in right field. As we all know, the Orioles haven't had a replacement for Nick Markakis since he left after the 2014 season. It's going to be a couple of years till Kerstad gets here, but that could be your mainstay in right field for the next decade plus. Strikeouts for the guy are a bit of a downfall. Uh, going into his final season at Arkansas, he had about a 3-1 to one strikeout to walk ratio. But he really improved on that number in 16 games this year. He had nine strikeouts to seven walks, a much better number. He was hitting 448 with six home runs in 16 games. He had a hit in all 16 games for the Razorbacks, including a walk-off home run in his last game before the shutdown. This is a guy who, at number two, He damn well better hit in the middle of the Orioles lineup for the next 10 to 15 years. This is a guy who he could hit 40 home runs playing in Camden Yards, playing with that short porch at Yankee Stadium, 
wrapping balls around around pesky pole in Fenway Park. Big time power to all fields from a left-handed bat. Mike Elias was very strong in saying that he feels they got the best left-handed bat in the country. And the more I see it from this kid, the more I tend to agree with him. It's really a shame that there's not going to be a minor league season this year because we're not going to get to have the red carpet treatment for him like we did with Adley Rutschman, where we, it's, it's an event to go watch this guy play at Aberdeen. Hopefully next year we'll get to see him play somewhere. But this is a guy that I really think is going to hit in the middle of the Orioles lineup for a long, long time. Then you move to the 30th pick in the draft. And again, it was going to be an overslot. You were thinking it's going to be an overslot pick for a high school pitcher that was going to be tough to sign, but the Orioles had a ton of money. The Orioles had almost $14 million to spend on their six picks. So they had, a, they had more money than any other team. And you're sitting there and you're thinking that they're going to be able to go out there and throw a ton of money at a kid who would be probably a first-round pick normally but was going to be tougher to, to sign coming out of high school. A guy like Nick Bitsko, probably the top prep arm in the class. Unfortunately, the Tampa Bay Rays, who love pitching and are known to d- develop it better than most, took him at 24, completely throwing a wrench in the Orioles' plans. I have no doubts that Nick Bitsko was the pick at 30 for the Orioles until Tampa swooped in and took him. So then they went with Jordan Westberg, shortstop out of Mississippi State. And don't get it twisted, guys. This is a good pick. This is a gritty pick. Hard-nosed ball player. Always looks like the dirtiest guy on the field. Defense and arm are going to keep him up the middle, either at shortstop or second base in the major leagues. He's got 20-20 potential. This guy's exit velocities are absolutely insane. I think I saw he had seven different batted balls at over 107 miles per hour off the bat. That is an insane number. Not to mention, tore up the Cape Cod League, which is considered the premier wood bat college league in the country. Hit 326 with a 385 on base percentage. The Orioles had to take him at 30 because he wasn't going to be around at 39. And we all know Mike Elias loves those up-the-middle guys. If you, get a, if you get an SEC shortstop, if you can take an SEC shortstop, you take him. They're the most athletic and best players on the field in the toughest conference in all of college baseball. You had to take Jordan Westberg. This is a, this is a guy that's going to be a 20 20 guy, 20 home run, 20 steal guy at the major league level. Really, really solid pick. Then you go to number 39, and you still have a couple of really good prep picks out there, prep pitchers for the Orioles to take. But they go Hudson Haskin, center fielder for Tulane, draft eligible sophomore slash 372, 459, 647. Uh, average on base percentage, slugging percentage, and 10 home runs as a freshman at Tulane. Another 2020 guy. Another 2020 guy is going to hit. He could hit 20 homers, 20 steals at, at, at the major league level. I think just from watching the tape on him, I think he could be a 30-30 guy if he if he grows into his frame. Really solid frame. He's still going to grow into that a little bit. He's a younger kid. Again, draft eligible sophomore. It's a really fast. Twitchy player, hits for average, and again, eventually for power. His defense and the speed are going to keep him in center field, which might mean that Austin Hayes, unless he becomes a superstar, would either move, would probably move to a corner outfield spot if Haskin develops the way that he, that he could. The only thing I wasn't impressed with about this guy, I watched him 
throwing from the outfield. Arm's not incredibly strong, it seems to me. Uh, a little bit inaccurate. A lot of hops on throws to second, third, and home um, and off the line. That could improve, but you know what? If he turns into Johnny Damon, another solid fielding center fielder that can't throw but can hit, I'm okay with that. Guy has a couple World Series championships on his resume. So a um, lot of com comparisons from Hudson Haskin to Hunter Pence. And if you look at the swing, yeah, you get it. Again, a really twitchy kind of swing, really unorthodox. I think it swings a bit smoother than Hunter Pence, but you can definitely see why there are comparisons there. But I think that this is a kid that is going to play at the big league level and play well. Moving on to the 74th pick in the draft, the, or the Orioles took Anthony Cervideo, Cervideo, depending on how you want to pronounce it, out of Ole Miss. One of the better defensive shortstops in the draft, and you're looking at another SEC shortstop. There's a theme here. The Orioles, like these up-the-middle guys from the SEC, can really run, can really pick it at short, uh, has a solid, accurate arm, slash 390, 575, 695, in 17 games with five home runs for Ole Miss before the shutdown. His power is developing. Doesn't look like he doesn't look like a powerful guy, but when you factor in the, the the point that he only had four total home runs his first two years in college, and then he hit five in 17 games this year, you look at Heston Kerstad had six in 16 games. So the power was there this year. Now look, he played in the Cape Cod League last summer, and he hit 143. He had a terrible, terrible summer season in the Cape Cod League. Some people have prolonged slumps. It happens. You, you hate to see it happen for a top prospect in his first experience with a wood bat. But the tools are there. The makeup's there. The attitude is great. The fundamentals are fantastic defensively. He's got a good swing. You know, he can hit the ball out of the ballpark. He can also spray it all over the field. But that's with a metal bat. It's going to be a work in progress offensively. The defense is going to play at the major league level. Again, he also has the ability to stay up the middle uh, for the, at the major league level. Just got to get that back going for him. But you're going to love this guy's personality. You're going to love the way he plays the game. He actually has ties to Baltimore. I believe his grandfather uh, was an outfielder for the Orioles on that 1966 World Series team. Uh, he, played, he played for Tom Eller in, a summer, in the Cal Ripken Summer League. Tom Eller, of course, was the single-A um, Aberdeen Ironbirds hitting coach last year and was about to be the Frederick hitting coach this year before the shutdown and was a head coach at Hartford Community College, which is one of the best junior college programs in the country and led the, the nation in home runs, I think, for four years. So this, Tom Eller knows this, this hitter, knows Cervadeo, a lot of Baltimore ties for him. So it's exciting to see this guy come to Baltimore and hopefully he has a spot on the major league roster in the coming seasons. Then at 103, and this is where the Orioles finally went overslot, and they got some really two really good picks at overslot at 103 and at 133. Kobe Mayo, perfect name for Baltimore. Kobe Mayo, Han, 103rd pick in the draft, coming out of Florida, six foot four, six foot five. Some publications have him at as a high school senior, 70 grade power on a scale of 20 to 80. This guy hits moonshot home runs. And you guys miss Manny Machado's arm. This guy's arm is right there. 70-grade 
on his arm, which means he could stick at third base or at a corner outfield spot. Really, his defense is going to dictate where he plays, but it's either going to be a corner outfield spot or a third base, but he has an absolute hose, a rifle, a cannon, any other cliche name you can think of, he's got it in his arm. 70-grade power, 70-grade arm. He's going to grow into that body. Right now, he's, he's a lanky, gangly 6'4", 6'5", but he's 17 years old. He's going to grow into his frame, and that dude's going to be hitting 500-foot home runs at the major league level. Overslot pick, again, he was a big-time commit to Florida, another big baseball program. His slot value is $565,500. The Orioles have already signed him for $1.75 million. They went $1.1 million over slot to get this kid. Now we see the plan coming into place, why they took Kerstad with that first pick instead of Austin Martin, who is a Scott Boris client, which means that he was going to command every, every penny out of that slot, which was going to be, over, it was going to be right around $8 million. Kerstad's going to sign for about five, maybe six million. So the Orioles were really able to use those funds elsewhere on a kid like Kobe Mayo and on a kid like Carter Baumler, a pitcher they took at 133, a TCU commit who has a really, really clean delivery off the mound, easily repeatable. He has a fastball in high school that touches 94 miles an hour, improving depth on his curveball. He's got a developing changeup, describes himself as a more athletic Zach Granke. Zach Granke has a Cy Young Award, was a main cog after being traded over to the Houston Astros on their run into the, wor- into the World Series. Um, pitched all those years in Milwaukee, Kansas City, L.A., for the Diamondbacks. One of the best pitchers in the game and actually has hit his fair share of home runs in the batter's box. And Carter Baumler thinks that he's a more athletic version of Zach Granke. So... This is a kid who has a lot of confidence in himself. Very highly touted. Big-time commit to TCU. His slot value is $422,330. The Orioles signed him for $1.5 million. Another guy, $1.1 million over slot. They, he's already signed. Mayo's already signed. Both of these guys foregoing their commitments to their big-time college programs to come play for the Orioles. I got to tell you, as upset as I was about the Orioles draft, not knowing the direction they were going in, and now taking a week to let it marinate and really delve into what they did with these picks, I think the Orioles knocked this draft out of the park. I think they hit an absolute home run with this draft. If you look at Jim Callis' rankings for all 30 teams in the Major League draft, he has the Orioles draft as fourth overall. Five, He said, and, and I saw him and I saw another scout say, Five of these six six picks will play in the major leagues. They absolutely killed it with this draft. And I'm not saying that as a homer or with my Orioles blinders on. These are all ball players who have great makeup, great attitude, great personality, and they can flat out play the game of baseball. It's going to be really fun to see. Again, it sucks that there's no minor league baseball this year because we're not going to get to see these guys until next year. A rebuilding club like the Orioles can't afford to take a year off from development, which is another reason why we need this Major League Baseball season to get started because that means that they can send their minor leaguers to extended spring training so that you can at least get work in. You know, we're already a year behind on getting Ryan Mountcastle and Adley Rutschman to the Major Leagues. 
we don't want to be a year behind on these top draft picks that they just got. Only six picks in this draft, only a five-round draft, unprecedented. Usually drafts go 40 rounds, five-round draft this year. The Orioles needed to hit on these guys, and I think that they did, and I think that we're all going to be excited to see them play, and we're going to be really happy with this draft. Not so much the day of, but when we look back on this draft in about five years, I think we're all going to be pleasantly surprised. All right, guys, that's going to do it for me here on the Payoff Pitch. Thank you so much for tuning into our show. It's been way too long, five months since we last saw each other. Hopefully it's not another five months till we see it. You know what? I'm not going to let it be another five months. I'm working some things out. We're going to try and get this show happening more regularly, more routinely. But again, thank you so much for tuning in. Without you, I don't have a show to do at all. And again, just to echo my sentiment from the beginning, huge shout out to Mo Gabba, who needs all of our prayers right now as Mother Sanzi. And a huge shout out to Jeremy Kahn and Eric Arditi for being angels on earth for this kid who needs it. Thank you guys so much. Mo, we're praying for you. And thank you to all of the listeners for tuning into the payoff pitch. Until next time, go O's.